Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Good morning. Good morning to the 25%. Welcome to you here this morning. Also, a big welcome to those of you that are joining us online via video, YouTube, or Facebook, or through the web feed. Also, to those uh, maybe tuning in on the bridge, those of you out on the lawn, those of you that may be in the family room, those that are within earshot of my voice, a great big welcome to you. Uh, I spent some time with Pastor Bobby this past week, and um, he, he almost teared up. He's a really tough man. You know, he'll do it from the pulpit, but one-on-one, he's usually all fire and no water, but... Uh, but he, he almost teared up and he said, would you please tell the church that I am so, and he, he just said, I am so thankful to them for their support. And he just loves you guys so much. And he's so appreciative for those of you guys hanging with us throughout all of this time, continuing to support, continuing to pray, continuing to hang in there. Uh, in all of this. And so I just wanted to relay that message to you. He is uh, a man worthy of much honor for, for, uh, for who he is as a, a man of God, but also the work that he's done in Dutchess County. And um, it's a privilege to be a part of this church and this work at this time. And so uh, as him and Liz refresh this week, they'll be back next week. Um, just keep them in your prayers and, and just remember uh, them this morning. So Um, If you have a Bible this morning, please turn it to the book of Joshua, chapter 18. It's just one verse. If you need a Bible, you can get one from the ushers. Um, The verse will go up on the screen. Most of the verses that I'm going to share with you this morning will go up uh, so that you can read them. And um, we're going to read this verse this morning. Um, The Bible says, actually it was John the Baptist that said it. He said that a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from above. And when Pastor Bobby asked me to teach, I, I received the invitation as, as I normally would, and I always look at it that way. God, you gave me this opportunity. I could not receive it if it was not of you, so please give me your word for your people, and I believe God has placed a word for you in my heart this morning. So Joshua chapter 18, verse 1, uh, the title of the message is Heard Community. We will read the verse, and then we will pray, and then I will deliver the message to you. So Joshua chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle or the dwelling place, the meeting tent of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. And so, Father, we come to you this morning and we know that you're here. We know that you're into your church. We know, Lord, that you're the God who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. You told us, Lord, that we were that lampstand, and you placed us on the earth for such a time as this. And we ask, Lord, this morning that as we listen to your word and consider the things that are before us in it and also the things that are before us in the world, we ask, Lord, that you would breathe fresh life into us, fresh fire, fresh light, that you would make us salt. And Father, I ask this morning that my voice and this word would be a goad and a guide to your church for these times, for our families, for our individual experience and lives, and for the future of our world and what we hand to any generations that you would have left. So would you strengthen us this morning? Would you fill us with your spirit to hear your voice and what you want to say to us now? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this is the weekend that we commemorate and memorialize the American Revolution and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And what I want to do very briefly is I want to just read to you, in case you've never maybe heard this before in your lifetime, the introduction and the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. Don't worry, it isn't long, but listen to these words that were penned by our earliest forefathers. They said, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their power from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invices a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. What amazing foresight, insight, what amazingly powerful words were written by those who could see down the line the potentials of what would come upon future generations. The American Revolutionary War and the Declaration of Independence that we commemorate this weekend illustrate and inform for us the major cause behind all wars, at least one major cause behind all wars, and that is the struggle for power and control. It was a struggle for power that caused the earliest war, the earliest war that happened before the world was even formed. Before God created a garden and put a man in it, in the heavenly realm, the Bible tells us that Satan, who was a high-ranking angel in the order of God's heavenly realm, that it came into his mind that he wanted the power and the authority that God himself had, and he wasn't content to be in the position that he was, that he was designed for and made for. And so he said five times, you can read it in Isaiah chapter 14, I will ascend above the throne of the Most High. And he launched a rebellion in heaven, garnered the support of one-third of God's angels, and he thought that he could overthrow God's throne. But he failed, 
and he was then cast into the earth. Now, every war since then has been a byproduct or really a reflection of that same thing, a desire for control. Every war, whether it be economic, racial, obviously political, whether it be relational amongst people, individuals, or people groups, or whether it be even internally the war inside of us, always somewhere in it there is a struggle for control. Now, the Bible declares emphatically that God has ultimate control and authority over all things. But Satan is still at large. He's still in the earth, and his quest for absolute power and control has not stopped. If you think you struggle with OCD, there has never been a case of OCD like that which gripped Satan when he thought that he could have and that he could handle and that he even would want the power that God alone had. At the creation, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave to them control and authority over the planet that he had made. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. It says that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. In Psalm 8, he expands it further. The psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? You Put him over the works of your hands, declaring the authority that God gave man in the very beginning. Now again, Satan's desire is ultimate control, and he also walks to and fro throughout the earth. And so his desire still is to take control of the planet from man and ultimately to take control of man. That's the desire of the devil, whom God created to be free. Do you realize that freedom is not a constitutional right? It's a divine right. It's your created right to be free. God made you to be free. Now, Satan gained the upper hand upon man on the earth when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The reason he gained the upper hand is because, first of all, once they sinned, they were cut off from God, which was the source of their power. Also, because they became subject to their five senses, which would become their weakness, and ultimately because they became spiritually blind, meaning that you and I became participants in a war in a realm that we can't see. And this has been the struggle of man and of life ever since. Now, throughout human history, Satan has been able to control kingdoms and governments, and at times he has come very close to world dominion. We read in history books about ancient Babylon and the great power that Satan was able to wield through that empire, almost having complete control over the whole world. Ancient Persia, a repeat. Ancient Greece under Alexander, again, the same. And ancient Rome under the Caesars and the emperors, again. But never complete and never without limit. Why? Because God and man still have authority over the devil. In the days of Noah, it came down to one man that God gave grace to, Noah. And Satan seemed like he had dominion, that he would control the whole planet. It would be under his power. But God destroyed it in a flood and saved one man. Until the days of Israel, again, when Israel was formed under Abraham, God then birthed an entity in the world through which there would be a continual source of light. And God would always have a remnant that no matter how 
strong it seemed that the grip of Satan was, God always had enough of a grip underneath all of that that he could never gain total control. And then when Jesus came and the church was instituted on the day of Pentecost, from that time, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world and that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And thus, as much as Satan has tried throughout human history to have absolute dominion, he has not been able because God has left something stronger in the world. One day, however, he will succeed. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, it's there in Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, that he will have his day when he rules over every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And that will be his quest until he obtains it. He will have control for, the Bible says, one hour. In the great span of history, that's what it will equal out to. Now, all of human history from the beginning of the creation until now has followed this cycle. There has been light, the light of God instituted upon a society. And then that light will diminish and it will become darkness. And then God will do something and turn the lights back on again. And that has been the cycle ever since the very beginning. From the creation to the flood, we see that cycle playing out. God instituting light in creation. But then the light diminishes and it becomes darkness until the time of the flood. But then the light comes back on and from the flood to the exodus, again, that cycle ensues. From the promised land, when God gave to Israel the land of promise, all the way through until the beginnings of the time of David, that cycle ensued again. And then from the times of David and Solomon, when the lights turned on, again, the cycle went through until the time of the captivity, light diminishing, darkness and then after the captivity, when they returned back to the land, the lights came on again. And from the captivity to the first coming of Jesus, there was light and then diminishing light and then darkness. And then Jesus came. And on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, the lights were turned on again. And throughout the church age, for 2,000 years now, we have seen that same cycle repeating itself with a different entity, with the church. Light, diminishing light, darkness, and then God will do something and turn the lights back on. When the dark ages came, they were rightly named that because times were dark, God turned the lights on by birthing the Reformation. And out of the light of the revival that was the Reformation, God birthed a nation, ultimately, the United States of America. The pilgrims that came here sought to build a society that was based upon freedom and frame a constitution that was based upon God's law and God's truth. And the result of that nation and that constitution was the greatest, freest, richest, most productive, healthiest, and strongest nation this world has ever seen because it, was based, it is based upon biblical morals and principles of freedom and light. Now, in the past 100 years of human history, there have been many significant things that have happened that have greatly diminished that light and even brought us to the place we are today that most of us would say it is dark. We've become very dark. First of all, the monetary system over the past hundred years was taken over by corrupt men who've created a system of debt and slavery and sleight of hand manipulation. The, econo the economic the economy, the money of our society is not controlled by the people, but it's controlled by a few corrupt and powerful men. 
The presence and influence of God and his word and his laws have been removed from our courthouses, our schoolhouses, our state houses, and unfortunately, even most households. And the result of that is that there's been a corruption in morals, in our laws, in our values, and in our direction. We as a people at large, we've become tolerant of every source of corruption in our behavior, our entertainment, our legislation, and our lifestyle. And in a very short time, this has led to the destabilization of every system necessary for a healthy society. The education system, the economic system, the health system, the family system, the legal system, and everything that's connected to all of those. After World War I, President Woodrow Wilson produced the League of Nations, which was the precursor to the United Nations that we know today, whose headquarters is in New York City. The stated goal of the United Nations is world government and the removal of all sovereign boundaries. There's an incessant call by those that are linked with that group for what they're calling a new world order. Now, what do they want? Brock Chisholm, who was the first director of the United Nations World Health Organization, is quoted as saying, to achieve global government, it is necessary to remove from the minds of men their individualism, Second, their loyalty to their families. Third, national patriotism. And fourth, religion. A thinking person who's watching what's going on in the world today will understand that the things that are happening right in front of our eyes right now, at very least, are being leveraged and manipulated to drive us towards that end. As a student of Bible prophecy, I've often wondered how long it would take the Antichrist to come to power once he is revealed or once his door is open. I now know that the answer to that question is about 30 days. Because that's about how long it took the American news media to terrorize American citizens into submission. And when you look at what's going on around us, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. See, the problem is that Satan, who is the puppeteer over all of these systems... He's seeking a global government because that's his means of dominating all of the planet and all of men. But what humanity doesn't understand is that that's a great big lie. Because Satan promises to powerful men that they'll have powerful positions, but that's not, absolutely, that's not actually at all true. Because he's not doing it so they can have power, he's doing it so that he can have power. We hear a lot of talk about the useful idiots, right? And that's what the, the, the useful, smart people think they are, calling everybody else that's helping them obtain powder. But really, it's the powerful people that are the useful idiots. They're just not looking high enough. Satan is using and manipulating it. My wife texted me this morning a list of 10 world leaders throughout the course of human history that came to the apex of power over almost the whole globe, and 10, 10 of them committed suicide once they reached that position. Because it doesn't produce what it promises. Among them, Adolf Hitler. Among them, Caesar Nero. Among them, Alexander the Great. They had world power, and yet they were being used by Satan ultimately to be expelled. Interesting, isn't it? When you read the book of Revelation, for those of you that are students of such things, it says that the beast used the whore in order to obtain what he wanted, and then he hated her. And that's what Satan does, ultimately. It's a lie. It's a big lie. Now, what's the one great hope that's remaining for our world in light of the speed at which we're watching these things happen? 
The one hope that remains is the presence of the church of Jesus Christ upon the earth today and the truth that we hold. God declares it and the devil knows it because Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There's a big move right now, if you're paying attention, to tear down and destroy or at least deface the historical monuments that define the moments that have shaped our great nation. Monuments to Columbus, Lincoln, Washington, even those who, who don't stand against the things that the protesters are standing against, just tear them down. Just tear them down. Anything that represents anything that makes the decision what it was. We see an increased call for censorship. You guys maybe heard that Netflix removed Gone with the Wind from their streaming because there's racism in it. So they can't no longer show that. That's considered hate speech. Do you realize how scary that term is, hate speech? Because who defines what hate speech is? Who draws the line? Who becomes the authority now over what, that what comes out of your mouth or mine is determined to be hate speech? That's crazy. 38 large corporations in the United States of America and the world have removed their support, their ad support from Facebook and other online platforms because they are unmoderated in the content that they allow. Among them, some of them, Coca-Cola, Ford, Pepsi, Verizon, Honda, others. There are many. They've withdrawn because they said, well, if you're not going to control what people are posting, then we're not going to support you with our ad money. Do you realize what's behind that? Do you realize the amount of pressure there is then to become moderators of those things? Perhaps you heard that Google recently demonetized two conservative news organizations in the United Kingdom. I wrote them down. I can't see them now in, in my thing. The Federalist and Zero Hedge. And then they withdrew their, 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 their plea against one of the two. But the reason for it is because they have an unmoderated comment section on their website and they don't remove hate speech from it. Now, you say, okay, big deal, you're ranting. No, I'm not, and here's why. Because it's a very small step, very small step, from that to now banning the Bible. Because when you read the pages of Scripture, there is hate speech all over the Bible. When you read about what God did to the Canaanites, when you read about the cultural practice of societies in times past where there was a difference between genders, when you read about different things that happened with slavery and races, I mean, there is hate speech everywhere in the Bible. They won't ban the Bible. <laughs> no, no, you'll probably still be able to have your Bible. They're not going to come and take your Bible out of your house, but go try to buy one. Go try to buy one when Amazon says, well, we can no longer support the, sell the selling of these things. Try to download the app when, or when uh, uh, um, Android and Apple say in their app platforms that we can no longer support the distribution of these apps because of what they promote and the content that they give. It's a very, very small step from where we are. So you ask the question, where's the hope in the days that we live in? The hope is this, is that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You can clap. But you might not like what I say next. Because what that means is that the answer to the problems that the world is facing right now are with us. If the gates of hell will only prevail against, won't prevail against the church, then it's the church that is responsible. We 
will be held accountable for what happens in this world. Because Jesus didn't say that the gates of hell will not prevail against the Constitution or against the right political system or against the right leadership or against states or against good laws. He said it won't prevail against the church. And so therefore, if the world goes down, who's held accountable? It's you and I. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its savor, then it, being the world, is good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot. So if the salt, that's us, if we lose our power, if we aren't the preserving force, then there is no preserving force and the world is good for nothing but to be destroyed. When something goes wrong in a family, an organization, or any other place, we say, who's responsible? And when we find out, we hold them accountable for what happened. And you and I are the church. We are responsible for what happens on the earth. He's given us that power and that authority. And I think we have greatly underestimated the amount of authority and the power that you and I have. See, for you and I to be raptured, that would be kind of cool, right? If the rapture happened and you and I, because the rapture is going to happen when there's no hope left. When God just goes, "Uh, well, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And if I don't take them out, they're going to be stomped. So I'm taking them. That's going to be cool. We're going to get raptured. But I think the first thing that we feel is shame because part of the reason it happened now and not 40 years from now is because of us. It would be, it would be wonderful if you and I were raptured. It would be a privilege, but it would also be a problem because it means that we didn't do something. Now, I know God holds all the times in his hands and there's a line I can't draw in all of that and how that fits but I do understand the responsibility that you and I have. So the question is, what do we do? If the church is responsible, what do we do in light of the times that we're in? I painted a picture for you on Wednesday night. If you were here, if not, you can go, I'm not going to paint the picture again, but you can go back and listen to this past Wednesday night study. But, But it was of how when Jesus came into the world physically, He came into conditions much like the conditions that we're facing right now, politically, racially, economically, religiously. It was a mess what Jesus came into. And ultimately, Jesus died on a cross for the sins of humanity. He rose again. And in the process of all of that, he enabled and facilitated a prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting is recorded for us in the book of Acts in the early chapters. And because of what Jesus did, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. It says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Did you you hear that? It says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They came unified around the person of the Son of God, and sought the promise that was given to them that they would be endued with power from heaven and that then they would go out and affect change in the world. And that's exactly what happened. The spirit came upon a unified, single-minded church 
And they turned the known world upside down and every problem that Jesus' day represented was overturned. Rome was overturned. The political power was done. The middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile was abolished. It was done away with. The problem was solved. The spirit of God upon the church of God turned the world upside down in the days of Jesus Christ. Things changed. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, going back into history, it was a time when Israel, the entity, had almost been destroyed. They had almost been wiped out, but God spared them. And they came back into their land, back from a captivity. And it tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1, listen to what they did. It says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spoke to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. They gathered as one and said, give us the word. And when the word was read, there was an effect. They prayed, they repented, they obeyed, and God moved, and he restored the nation, and the lights came back on. In the days of the judges, we read in the time of the judges that the people of God had now been established in the promised land. But in their rebellion, they turned away from God. They allowed the things of God to become secondary, and they gave themselves to other things. And so God, in his love and in his mercy, brought an enemy against Israel, Mesopotamia. And it says there, Judges chapter 3, verse 9, it says that when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them. Even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan, Rishathahim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed against Cushan, Rishathahim. And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. God delivered when they cried out to him for help. They then fell a little bit later under the hand of Moab and Ammon. And it tells us in Judges chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a left-handed man. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present to Eglon, and so then in verse 30, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. They were oppressed. They cried unto the Lord and the Lord raised up deliverance. A little while later, they fall under the hand of the Canaanites. And in Judges chapter four, verse three, it says that the children of Israel cried unto the Lord for he had 900, this is Canaan, 900 chariots of iron. In 20 years, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. So God subdued, verse 23, on that day, Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. They fell later under the Midianites. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 6, it says that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And after all the saga is drawn out, the conclusion, Judges 8, 28, 
It says, thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more and the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. They cried unto the Lord. Are you starting to see a pattern here for deliverance? In Judges chapter 10, they fell under the hand of the Philistines. And it says in chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Baalim. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, listen to what God said, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also and the Amalekites and the Moanites and King George and Stalin and Lenin and Hitler and Mao and Bin Laden and the Clintons. who did oppress you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. But watch this. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, we have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seems good to you. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them, watch this, and served the Lord, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. He said, I'm not going to deliver you. But they cried out and repented, and watch what happens. Judges 11, verse 32. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Arior, even till you come to Minneth, even 20 cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. They gathered, they prayed, they repented, they cried, God moved. Over and over and over and over again. Psalm 106 verse 39 says this. Recounting Israel's history and God's work among them, he says, thus they were defiled with their own works and they went a whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people. Insomuch that he abhorred or hated his own inheritance and he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to all the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. When Solomon, the first king of a united Israel, 
built the temple and he was asking God to bless and to cover and to prosper his people. He prayed for them and he said, God, please be merciful to their sins. And this was God's reply to Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 12. It says that the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Now we come to our text. Joshua chapter 18, verse one. And again, I read it. And it says that the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. Psalm 133 says these words, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, talking about the anointing and powering of God's Holy Spirit that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, And as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Where? How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For there is where the power comes upon. It says that the whole congregation assembled together at Shiloh. Do you know what's interesting about Shiloh? is that it's another name for Jesus in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 49, when God was speaking to Jacob before he died, he gave him a promise and he said that the scepter of rulership or leadership will not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Shiloh is the Messiah, Jesus. It says that the whole congregation gathered together at Shiloh. And what did they do? It says that they set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. The tabernacle of the congregation is the dwelling place, a tent. It's the place where people live. It's home. They made Jesus their home. The whole congregation together made Jesus their home. And it says that the result is that the land was subdued before them. That would come at great cost for them to assemble at this time. Think about what they had to leave. Think about how far they had to travel. Think about how inconvenient it would be for them to do this, to fulfill this at this time, but it was there that they found strength for the victory. I wonder if you guys see what I see right now, looking at all of this that's going on right now. 
whatever the percent. I wonder if you see what I see right now. See, I I began this morning, I know it's been a while since I started, I'm almost done, by saying to you that Satan has one goal and one desire, and that is complete and total world dominion and to control all of men. That is his desire and his aim. He has not been able to do it because he has not been able to subdue the people of God. They have always had the upper hand on him. But let me ask you a question. If you're playing the game of chess, what is your one goal other than taking out the king and winning the game? It is to eliminate or isolate the queen. Because if you can eliminate or isolate the queen, then you can do whatever you want on the chessboard, and it's just a matter of time before all the pieces fall. Well, if Jesus is the king of heaven, and the church is the bride of Christ, what does that make you and me? It makes us the queen. We are the most powerful force on planet earth today. And what Satan has successfully done right now through all of this is that he has isolated and divided us into a place where we have become somewhat, not completely, impotent. And the answer is that we, I'm not, I am not saying violate the law, everybody show up in church. These are tricky, tricky things that we have to navigate in a way where we maintain our witness but keep our power. It's important. So you say, well, what are we to do? Are we to rebel against? No, 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 no. I am telling you this. I am telling you that the Bible tells you what to do. God does not want to destroy, nor does he delight to see destruction. What God has given to you and me right now is the most powerful force in the universe. And here's what it is. Are you ready? Repentance and prayer. They cried unto the Lord, and he heard them, and he delivered them. They cried unto the Lord, repentance and prayer. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29 says this. Listen carefully. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my... He doesn't say anything else. He doesn't say they wouldn't rebel again. He says they wouldn't pray. They wouldn't pray. That's what caused them to stop. What we need to do is stop posting and start praying. That's what we need to do. We need to come together and pray. And I implore you this morning, church. I implore you, those within the sound of my voice, if there is something in your life that has shaken your confidence in prayer, then get it out of your life and get it cleansed that you get your confidence back. If you've become disillusioned because you say, well, God didn't answer my prayer, or I asked God to heal this person, and they ended up dying, and so I'm not gonna pray. Listen, you need to understand that if you knew everything that God knew, you would do exactly what God does, so get past it and start to pray again. Use your authority. Use the power he's given you. If you're in a place where your faith only comes as far as the threshold of prayer, meaning I believe God to go to church. I believe God to order my life the right way. I believe God to read the Bible every morning, but I don't pray. 
then you need to cross the threshold of prayer and start to pray. If you have two Christian friends, then you need to have them over to your house once a week or once every two weeks and pray, begin to use the authority that God has given to you. Listen, if we don't use our God-given privilege to defend our God-given privilege, we will lose our God-given privilege. That is the message that I have for you this morning. And as we prepare our hearts now for communion, that's a great, great starting point. Because communion represents the unifying of the body of Christ around the person of Jesus. It represents the whole assembly of God's people gathering together at Shiloh and making our tabernacle there. It's a time of refreshing, a time of forgiveness, a time of remembrance for what he did, who he is, where we're going, that he's coming. It is all of those things. It is the physical action that represents the spirit and power of a holy, consecrated, and unified church. And Lori's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship before the Lord, and then we're going to partake of communion together. If you didn't grab a cup on the way in, you could still get one out in the lobby. Remember, it's double cup. The bread is in the bottom. The juice is in the top. For those of you that are at home, prepare your elements, and let's sing to the Lord while we prepare our hearts to partake this morning.
these words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which you have given me out of the world. Thine they were, and you gave them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you did send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them, which you have given me, that they are thine. For all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me have I given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared unto them your name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's partake together as one this morning of the body and the blood of the Lord.
and let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning over your great congregation, those gathered here, those at their homes, those in churches around Dutchess County, New York State, the United States, and even around the world. And what we are asking right now, our collective voice before you, is that, God, you would have mercy on us. As a nation, Lord, in our confusion and also in our rebellion and even in our blindness, Lord, we have fallen so short of your glory. And we are in such need of healing. We're in need of restoration. We're in need of forgiveness. And we're in need of the power of your Holy Spirit to come upon us again as a holy, consecrated, and unified church. And so would you hear us this morning, Lord, crying out to you and asking you, Father, that you would fill us afresh with yourself. That you would open up our eyes and awaken our hearts and that you would bring us back to our first love and that you would lead us through these tricky times. That you would help us to know how to love people and how to behave and what we're supposed to do. And you'd help us to order our lives aright, that you would break the yokes and the things that have bound us up. And that you would set us free to love truth. That you would resensitize our consciences. And that you would cause us to hunger again for your word and cause us again to love one another. Forgive us for our pride, our apathy, our division our self-interest, and purify us, Lord, even as we partake this morning of this remembrance cup, that you would remember your covenant that you made. You said the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. So come upon a generation, Father, please. Hear us in your mercy. We appeal to you. We look to you. We ask for your help. Heal our land. Heal our nation. Heal our churches. Heal our families. Heal our marriages and our homes. Heal our mental health. Heal the empty places inside of us that are groping for things but filling with darkness. For we look to you, the one true God who fills all things. Bless this word. Bless this time. Bless your church. And send us in your power. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. God be with you. Amen and amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.